Hi guys, welcome back to the You Don't Want No podcast. Welcome back everybody. I hope you had a fantastic Halloween. So just to jump right in, I didn't think that, well, I wasn't planning on making that like little snippet that I did, the something different to be an episode, but then my life continued to spiral out of control. So it was an episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, If you did, like and subscribe, I guess, Uh, let me know because I had a lot of fun doing it. And I have more ideas of like little stories that I've been writing down. So if you want to hear more, honestly, I'm probably going to do more, but it'd be cool to like know if people like it, then I might like actually try and do more instead of just (laughs) these creepy things pop into my head. And I'm like, that's a short story. That could be a short story. So I don't like think about it. It just kind of happens from my day to day time. Like I don't know what's wrong with me, but sometimes I'll just stop and be like, it would be really freaky if this happened. And then that's what I would write down and make a short story out of. So send me an email if you like it, ydwkpodcast at gmail.com or if messaging me on Facebook or Instagram is easier. Instagram is ydwkpodcast and Facebook is just you don't want to know because you really don't want to know. The jokes, they never end. I love the name of this podcast. So, um, yeah, sorry I say um, I'm trying to not do that as much. I have a hectic life. I just started a new job. So, um, that's why I just said it again. That's why I am kind of sporadic right now, but I just finished training. So hopefully I can get back to regularity, but I'm just going to say these next, well, hopefully I'll be recording for long, longer than this, but you never know. I'm enjoying my time here. (laughs) I am in school and it's going to get crazy in the next like three semesters. So I might be a little spotty here and there, but I'm here. I'm going to be here for you guys. Okay. For the three people that listen, one of those people is me. (laughs) So I'm here for myself, but you other two people that listen, (laughs) I'm here for you. I love you. Thank you for your time. So I watched a couple movies. I uh, oh, I need to write down the movies I watch. I watched Saw 10, I think. Maybe it was 10. I don't know. The new one. And you know what? I've only seen Spiral, where Chris Rock is just mad the entire movie. And I couldn't figure out why until the end. I understood why he was mad at the end. But the rest of the movie, I just I didn't really understand completely. So... Sorry. Maybe it's because he knew Will Smith was going to slap him eventually. Maybe that's why. Maybe he's like a fortune teller. I don't know. But I liked it. I will say I liked it. Um, Then I watched, I think it's the second Saw movie. And I could bear it. Uh, The biggest thing I was scared of was like the goriness of it. And I didn't think it was too bad. There was a part where someone gets thrown in a pit. Not going to ruin it. I didn't love that, but I got through it. So this one, I just thought it was really good. The story was good. Um, I, I have my these two friends that I have. They're great. Uh, they see scary movies with me and I could not be more grateful for them. So I kind of forced it on them. So it's fine. <laughs> Every time we leave a movie, uh, there's like a thing at the end, you know, where they play a clip. So we've had been like having discussions outside the, the-, the theater and then we hear 
like the movie playing and we run back in and then it answers the unanswered questions that we had. There might have been like two more questions that were like, hmm, this doesn't really make total sense, but we're rolling with it. I had to pause to burp, but back to what I was saying. I just liked it. I didn't think it was too gory. Some people might think it's a little too gory. I'm a little desensitized with my life, but that's fine. But either way, I would definitely watch it again. I thought it was pretty good. It was a nice little cherry on top of the Saw franchise. I don't know if they're going to do more, but I thought it was pretty darn good. The next movie I'm going to see is Thanksgiving. And yeah, it's a movie. If you haven't heard of it, it looks pretty spooky. Um, I'm going to be honest, my hopes are not very high for it, but I'm still going to watch it. I'm still here for you. Did not see Five Nights at Freddy. Not sure if I'm going to see it just because I heard that you have to play video games or the video game to like really enjoy it. And I don't play video games. I don't have that dexterity as I twiddle my thumb. (laughs) Maybe I'll watch it. If it comes out on the streaming services, I will watch it. Services, not surfaces, services. Okay, now to the calendar. There's a little squirrel on it and this says the stalker squirrel. In July 2015, a woman in northern Rhine-Westphalia, Germany, called police to report that she was being stalked in her yard by a tiny, aggressive red squirrel. The agitated rodent was arrested and hauled to local police, luckily, where it was discovered that the irritability was stemmed from exhaustion. The squirrel was hand-fed honey and with a dropper, oh my gosh, that is so cute, until it regained its strength. Then it was released to a rescue center. How wholesome. What a great day. You're welcome. All right, guys, let's get to what we're here for, the true crime of it all. Let's get uncomfortable. So I chose the story of Sarah Toker Tokars. Um, this is a kind of a rough one. Um, I'm gonna say that this story, I'm gonna say allegedly, just across the board, this story is alleged, quote unquote, because it deals with an attorney, and I don't know. Well, I guess he did pass away, so I should be okay. But you just never know. Okay. So, Sarah Tokars was originally born Sarah Ambrusco um, to John, and I couldn't figure out what his wife's name was, but John was a surgeon, and his wife, Sarah's mother, was a stay-at-home mom, and she had six sisters. That poor man. <laughs> no. Living in a house with eight women would be hard. Like, as a woman, that would be I wouldn't do it. I literally wouldn't do it. Like, that would be so flipping hard. But he did it. So she grew up with, oh, wait, no, sorry. She had seven sisters. So it was nine. Wow. Good for him. They grew up in a suburb of Buffalo, New York. And she was described as lively and kind and stylish. She was a cheerleader in high school. So she was really like one of those cool girls that everyone kind of wanted to be. And she saw her family as perfect, and that's what she wanted in life, was a family just like her own. She wanted her husband to be a working husband, and she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom with her kids, going to church every Sunday, just picture perfect in her mind. Then Sarah became an elementary school teacher, and that was kind of her 
easing into being a mother, you know. And she eventually got married in 1981 to a man who owned a high-end health club in Atlanta. So she moved from Buffalo to Atlanta. And she became an aerobics instructor for the club. And it was kind of a perfect fit for her with her. She was really in shape and also with cheerleading. But unfortunately, that marriage did not last long because her ex, well, her husband at the time, could not stay away from all the women at the club. So it's very unfortunate. So at 31, Sarah moved to a condominium in Dunwoody with her sister, Chrissy, where they were, excuse me, she started working as a marketing director for clubs. One night she was watching the news and she, it was like a court case and she recognized someone. It was like a familiar face. It was a man named Fred Tokars. Sound familiar? He was a journey, or excuse me, a junior assistant to an attorney on a murder trial for a lawyer who was killed by his lover. Very, very juicy. When I actually first read this story, I thought that it was Fred Tokars was the guy that like killed someone. And I was like, whoa, Sarah's really getting after it. But no, he was a junior assistant. So she had known Fred. They grew up in the same small town, but they didn't really like know each other very well. Um, She said that her sister dated his brother. So it was more like a kind of passing kind of thing. They went to high school together, though. And she said that seeing him reminded her of when she was young and the heist, uh, the, the, wow, this, what am I trying to say? The lifestyle. Why was that so hard? Sorry, guys. The lifestyle that she had and what she so longed for. So Sarah actually ended up giving him a call. And at the end of the phone call, he had asked her if she wanted to go on a date with him. So they did. And then a year later, they got married. It was a courthouse wedding, and um, the judge, John Langfords, uh, in his chambers, he said that they were just a typical joyful couple who was ready and eager to get married. They moved into a big expensive house in a really nice neighborhood, and Sarah kind of felt like she was finally having her dreams come true. Now, Fred, he was a Fulton county district attorney at some point after he became the junior assistant (laughs) this is kind of rough a magazine was quoted saying it was the atlanta magazine he was a tall and slender man with a sensitive rather than handsome face rather than specifically he wore tortoise shell i think glasses combined with unruly light brown hair behind protruding ears that is not a great way to be described that's kind of rough and they called sarah like all these wonderful things lively and beautiful and stylish so you can get a pretty decent picture of fred from that one it started off well i should say he started off with white collar crimes like tax fraud um he kind of called himself an expert and they called him a self-promoter So he kind of puffed out his chest. He thought it was all that in a bag of chips, you know. He started teaching at night school, local colleges, and accounting and tax and law enforcement seminars. They called him Fast Fred because he was always about that fast money, quick money. 
he like really thought of himself as like this amazing awesome guy he really pulled pulled in chrissy which was sarah's sister and sarah with all these crazy stories about the cases that he worked and the things that he would do and he was like a superhero kind of to them because he was working against these bad guys and doing this these good things for this town and i think that's another reason why he went over sarah was because he just seemed like this superhero he was also incredibly appealing to sarah because she knew how he grew up it was very similar to how she grew up so she figured like hey he grew up one way i grew up the same maybe we can have that similar lifestyle if we got together got married and have kids and after they got married within a year sarah got pregnant and was having a baby and she just really felt like her dream was coming true but her family started to notice that fred was not always home he was working late a lot of the time and wasn't there for them and would miss dinner a lot but sarah was still really happy and she finally got her family started so she was just in her little bubble. Her first son, Ricky, was born in 1986. And Sarah wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was kind of her dream, was to be able to just fully take care of her kids, not let anyone else kind of take them off, like pass them to anyone else. She wanted to be the one raising them. But Fred was actually like upset about this. He was not interested in her staying home. So she ended up working half days at her office which was club promoting, and then the other half at home. She was still working a full day, but half of it was at home. Around that time, that time period, drinking and driving laws got incredibly strict. And like these two-for-one deals, I guess, were no longer a thing because they were trying to really crack down on the drinking and driving. And also the AIDS epidemic was going on. It was very high. So nightlife really started to come crashing down and Sarah eventually lost her job, which sucks no matter what. But she was kind of happy about it because that meant she got what she wanted. She got to be a stay-at-home mom. But around that same time, Fred decided to quit his job for some reason and start his own practice as a criminal defense lawyer. Now, if you don't know much about this stuff, Fred was the district attorney, so he was fighting all those criminals. A criminal defense lawyer means he's defending the people that are criminals. So sometimes people can be innocent. Don't get me wrong. But really, allegedly, I will say, not the people that Fred was dealing with. And this will become more clear as I continue with the story. So one of the reasons why Sarah fell for him was because he seemed like the superhero. So not very great. He was renting a space from Murray, I think is how you say it, Silver, who was a criminal defense attorney and um, an Atlanta municipal judge. So, not off to a great start. And it's when Sarah lost her job. I feel like, you know, being an attorney is a good job, but starting anything off is tough. And after Sarah just lost her job, I feel like it's just not business savvy, I guess, if if I had to put it one way, put it lightly, I should say. So Fred started working, uh, or excuse me, he added to the criminal defense attorney. He did tax fraud cases and divorce cases. And now those were things I should say that were fast money. So hence the nickname, Fast Fred, just another way. That year, 
Congress had passed a law making money, money laundering. Sorry, I'm just tripping over words today. I don't know why. And it's like been all day. Maybe this was not the day to record a podcast, but we'll get through it, guys. It's fine. <laughs> I, I will go back. So they made a law that made money laundering um, much harder to do, I guess, which is a good thing. But it was easier to see. Like, I don't really know. I didn't look into it, but it's just easier to see for the government to see. So Fred, this genius, he, that was sarcasm, he was quoted in this business article called Atlanta Business Chronicle saying, quote, ironically, these money laundering and cash transaction requirements, requirement laws became so complex, drug dealers ultimately need to hire attorneys to explain how to circumvent these new systems. For the most part, these professional services are no different than those rendered to legitimate clients. In fact, attorneys often launder money without knowing it. <laughs> so, the way I heard that was, hey, if you want to launder money, come to me. I can help you out. I'll explain it to you. So, it's like he's attracting business, basically. And that he he basically did that. He basically attracted business through that one. All these things really worried Sarah because she met him as this really awesome attorney who was fighting the bad guys. And now it just, it's like a flip of a coin. Now he's defending these people and she's getting really worried. And financial pressure is starting to build. So Fred decides to take over all of the money. He gave her a weekly allowance and told her that the basement was completely off limits and that she could not have a credit card anymore. Now, the weekly allowance was 400 bucks a month, or excuse me, a month, that'd be crazy, $400 a week, which isn't bad, at least I think, but I don't know. It was always in cash, like I said, absolutely no, which kind of seems like he doesn't want a paper trail for some reason, but whatever. He told Sarah that she didn't know the value of money, and that was kind of his excuse. But as the time went on, shortly after this all happened, Fred was less and less willing to give Sarah her weekly allowance, which infuriates me to think that a wife has to beg her husband for money. Like just very upsetting. So she secretly gets a credit card, you know, which makes perfect sense if your husband is not willing to let you buy groceries, take care of your baby, get clothes, get things that your baby needs. That would make sense. But unfortunately, it was getting harder to pay off that credit card, so she had to find new means of gaining money. So she started a small promotional company and tried to contract jobs to make some extra money. But of course, there's another roadblock. Fred wouldn't give her money to help the business, and unfortunately, it didn't last. This entire time, though, Sarah is just incredibly confused because she thought that Fred had a good job that would support her. And I don't know much about Sarah. I obviously never met her. It was before my, well, I guess it wasn't before my time, but I never met her. So I don't know what her, how she got into this, what she was feeling, what she was thinking, but it kind of seems like she, her life, her perfect life was really important to her. And that's kind of her goal. So she found a man who she loved because she got married with a good job that she thought she could do this with. So she's just really confused why they're having so much money problem when she thinks that Fred has this good job. She doesn't understand 
why they don't have any money and why he has to be so frugal with his spending. It was also kind of getting to Sarah because she really took pride in what she wore and her style. You know, in the beginning, she was described as stylish. She had to start getting hand-me-downs from her sister. And I would imagine that would be hard for someone who takes pride in having nice clothes or being able to like style things. So she was just kind of getting discouraged with everything that was going on. She would visit her family a lot because she was super close to them, but her husband Fred was just very unsupportive of those things. He wouldn't give her money, like gas money or hotel money, and he would make her drive. And her family had moved to Florida. So that's a nine-hour drive, a nine-hour drive. I used to do that when I was young. My mom actually would do it. It was eight hours to Ohio, and that was horrible. So I can't imagine like doing that so much, but she did it a lot. And he would just never give her any money or very, very little money because he was discouraging her. He would even sometimes come and he would fly. Sarah would drive the kids, nine hour drive, and he would freaking fly. I would kill him. I would literally, no, sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. I would be so upset that I would think about in my head. I would imagine it, but I wouldn't do it. But that would, oh my gosh, like, I just don't know how you like say, okay, I guess I'll drive the kids. Enjoy your freaking easy sitting for two hours while I drive the kids. Ugh. Oh, I'm saying kids. Sorry. Spoiler alert. She has another kid. So that I would call that abuse. I don't know about anyone else, but I would definitely call that abuse. And unfortunately, that escalated after she had her first child and it was his first birthday say it was around his first birthday she and fred got invited to like this attorney party whatever and she had called the man hosting and said that they couldn't go to the party because she had bruises on her arm from fred hitting her which seems kind of weird at first but then she said that she made him promise not to tell and eventually this all comes out after sarah passes because unfortunately she does not make it in 18 1988, Sarah gave birth to her second child, Michael, who they called Mike for short. Shortly after, Sarah had made a new will, and she even got it notarized and signed, saying that her sister in San Francisco would be the executor and trustee of the boys, and all of her belongings would go to her children. She also said that her sister Karen would take the boys if her husband didn't survive. That one part right there if her husband didn't survive that was the only part where she named fred not by name she just said husband that was it so that was kind of a sign that things were really not going well after a year of mike being born sarah thought that fred might be cheating on him on her excuse me and she actually sought help from a private attorney buckhead divorce attorney stephen labowitz I think is how you name it. Is how you see it? Oh, excuse me. He was just a divorce attorney, but um, Detective Perdomo, he was the private detective. So she sought out help from them. And he did find this out, unfortunately. I don't know if this is just from movies, but I feel like attorneys and lawyers, they're kind of all in the same like tight-knit group. So they kind of find out those things. So Fred found out and he actually threatened custody of the boys to Sarah and her boys were her life. 
she loved them with all of her heart. And as soon as she heard that, she like it was like a switch flipped and she was like, okay, I need to be smarter about this and I need to figure out if this is possible to do without him taking my kids away. This is when it starts to get a little crazy. Fred starts going into politics and he actually became an elected official. He defended a sheriff. He was, or excuse me, he was a defense witness for a sheriff in tax evasion and extortion trials. So I kind of feel like he just really took a deep dive into this just terrible, terrible crowd. He made donations to these um, officials, elected officials running for things in his and Sarah's name, even though they were running incredibly low for cash. And it was like thousands of dollars, nothing too crazy, but it was enough money that just seemed, it made it seem like they were, they were doing good. When in reality, Sarah was just working super hard with what little money she had. And she was just coming to her limits and she wanted some answers. So the detective Perdomo, he confirmed her suspicions. She knew that he was cheating on her with all these different women. She wanted to leave him. She wanted to get out of this bad relationship, but she also didn't want to lose her kids because that was her world. Her kids were her world and she didn't have the connections that he did. She didn't know what he was capable of, what he could do with all these connections as he gains higher status in the political world. And she was just getting really scared. And her love for her kids were just so strong. She really wanted to raise them in this loving household. And she just didn't think that she could do that with Fred anymore. So my girl Sarah here, she starts collecting dirt. And I think that's crazy cool she started digging as much as she could and she went into the basement where's the best place to look the off-limits basement she found this safe and somehow she was able to get into it and she found this is like a little rocky either some documents some prescription drugs or some like crazy amounts of cash or all these things it was never confirmed or denied what she actually found. Well, I shouldn't say that. The she the PI confirmed the documents, but nothing else. So she brought it to Perdomo and she was like, I need you to make copies of these so I can have them on hand and can study them and figure out what's going on. But he refused to do it. And I'm assuming it's because of Fred's job. He thought it was unlawful and that it's just not something that he should do. And he said that with those prescription drug bottles the pill bottles you can go to your doctor and figure out why they're being given to him what he has all these things but you don't need me for that because he was just really unhelpful and kind of shot her down they had a falling out she asked um the private detective to give the police what he had and just have it on record so she could have something to fall back on just to feel safe in case something did happen to her And she said that specifically, in case something happens to me, I want this to be given to the police. Unfortunately, Perdomo, I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but that's what it looks like. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. He kind of thought that she was being a dramatic housewife because, you know, sometimes that happens. Unfortunately, he was wrong and we will find out later that he was very, very, very wrong. 
Down the line, authorities say, like I said, there was really nothing significant in the safe. Some people say that there was lots of money or proof of Fred's money laundering, documents that can prove it, the prescription drugs, but police say there was nothing of substantial evidence in those safes. Which I say to them, now, now there was nothing substantial in those safes. Back then, maybe. You can never say for sure. That's just my opinion, though. Allegedly. The government, though, they started smelling fret. They're like, something stinks in this area and we're going to figure it out. I don't know why they were an old timey cop, but they were. (laughs) So they start getting subpoenas and questioning everyone. And they got these super deep subpoenas i don't know the correct verbiage but i guess it was so intense that they could have even questioned sarah because they had so much suspicion he actually became a partner slash like board member part owner of this nightclub nightclub what oh my gosh i really shouldn't have recorded today but we're already here guys it's 30 minutes in i'm here 29 sorry he became a part owner slash board member slash whatever, to a nightclub called The Parrot with these two men, James Mason and Billy Carter. Billy Carter was a former agent of the Georgia's Bureau of Investigation. Former, because he was charged and pled guilty to battery. James was just another club promoter, so he kind of knew the business. He knew what he was doing. He also had really good connections around the place with different people not so great people, shady people, but a lot of people. So I'm assuming that's why he got brought in. The government, though, he thought that these men were kind of the shiny plastic figures in front of the shady stuff in the back. So basically, the people who couldn't actually own it because they were charged with a bunch of stuff. So they were just like the front men, basically. Eventually, Fred formally resigns from the club. I know that's pretty quick, but he does because there was a lawsuit and he was replaced by this man called Julius Klein, who was a drug dealer and was believed to be one of those men that Billy and James were covering up for. All of these men were Fred's clients. Every single one of them were Fred's clients. So again, I say, why would you need to do this why would you need to be a club owner if you're an attorney like maybe i'm wrong too but i feel like you should make good money as an attorney i don't know it's just it doesn't make any sense unless something shady is going on i don't know so the government thought that the club was bringing in and selling drugs like a front for it So they really, like I said, they were really trying to get in there and figure out what was going on. They also thought that Fred was teaching them how to run a business, how to be successful, so no questions come up about money laundering. They'll just think that they're running a successful business and everything's legitimate. But he wasn't that smart because they were on his tail. Sarah never actually ended up going through with the divorce because no one could completely promise her that she would have custody of her boys with the evidence that she found. So she put her boys first, which is incredibly selfless and commendable to do. She was continuously uneasy 
about all the shady stuff that Fred was doing with his work and all this stuff. And she was just really scared. She just asked that he put up some security security cameras. Wow, I just can't talk. I know I've said this a bunch of times, but I just can't talk. I'm so sorry, guys. I hope you can power through this because I'm trying to. So she was just scared with this shady stuff that he's going through and the front screen door, or I think it was actually the back screen door was broken. The lock was broken. So anyone could get in if they really wanted to. And she was just really nervous about all that stuff. And he just refused to help. There was a couple things in the house that were kind of breaking down and he wouldn't put up any money to fix these things. So Sarah was just kind of a mess because she was so nervous about all of it. As the years went on though, the kids got older and Sarah started getting them into school. She would volunteer as an aide here and there, probably to get out of the house so she wouldn't be alone. But eventually Sarah realized that she could probably start getting a job. And Fred said that he, she could work for him. And she was like, I absolutely don't want to do that. And I don't blame her. Two days before Thanksgiving, Sarah went down to her parents' house for the holidays two separate alarms went off while they were away. No one can say for sure if it was Sarah or Fred who wanted to disarm the whole system because obviously the alarm company, they're going to call you and say, hey, this happened. Hey, this happened again. So her family say that Fred was the one that told her, sorry, this is going to be hard to follow. So her family, Sarah's family said, Fred told Sarah to tell the alarm company, hey, Let's just shut it off if it's going to keep going off. Fred swears up and down that Sarah was the one. It was her idea. She wanted to shut it off. She didn't want to get any phone calls. So weird, but okay. Eventually, Fred flies home and Sarah and her son stay to pick up a Christmas tree. And this is really sweet and really sad. She said as they're getting ready to leave after they have the Christmas tree, They'll come back soon because they're going to decorate it, which is really hard. I guess every time after they leave the family in Florida, they are just crying in tears because they don't want to go. But this time they were happy and they were singing, I'll be home for Christmas. Oh my gosh, guys, this like breaks my heart. So Fred gets home around 11 he calls his business partner, Eddie Lawrence, and asks him to co um, come fix his uh, water heater because Eddie's like a handyman and he says no. Weird, but okay. Hangs up the phone. Then later on, he calls his father-in-law. Fred calls his father-in-law and says, or asks, did Sarah leave yet? And um, John, the father, says, yeah, they'll probably be back 9 or 10 p.m. After that, within a few hours... Fred calls Eddie again and says that he found someone to fix the water heater. That's really all we hear about that water heater, but it seems kind of weird. Whatever. After that, Fred leaves town to meet a client in federal prison. I believe it was in another state, but it didn't say for sure, but he left town for sure. Now, Sarah's driving home and she promised that she left. She would call her parents when she got home but her parents never received that phone call and her parents got a little worried, but Sarah's a grown person. So they waited and waited until eventually they just couldn't wait anymore. So they called home Sarah's home and they never got a, 
they never even got like a ring. It was always a busy, busy signal. So they waited a little bit longer and they called again. Nothing. And again, nothing. And they got incredibly worried. So Sarah, she actually drove home. Uh, her youngest son, Mike, had fallen asleep in the back seat. But Sarah let out Ricky and their dog to go inside. And as she's walking to the door, she sees a man. She opens up the door and sees a man with a sawed-off shotgun who told them to get back in the car. The dog started barking at this man and he kicked the dog and the dog kind of whimpered away. So Sarah gets back in the driver's seat and the man, which this is disgusting to me, he gets in the back seat next to her sleeping child and puts a gun to the back of her head. And this just makes me so upset. So, so upset. The whole time Sarah's pleading, pleading, please just don't, don't hurt me. Don't hurt my sons. You can take my money. You can take my car. Just please don't hurt us. But he never listened, unfortunately. He told Sarah to start driving. Um, he said some really far distance. I don't remember exactly where, but eventually he abandoned that and told her to turn a couple different ways. Eventually, they ended up in this somewhat abandoned neighborhood. There was some, some construction going on in some of the houses, but there really wasn't too many people there. So she parked the car and someone started walking towards the vehicle and she realized who it was. It was Eddie Lawrence, someone she did not trust. So she kind of got worried and eventually she pushed Ricky's head down, her oldest son, and started to accelerate and turn left. And that was when Curtis, which was the man that was robbing her, or kidnapping her, pulled the trigger. As soon as that happened, he jumped out of the car and panicked and ran away. And the car was not in park, so it started rolling to the side and went through some shrubs and kind of stopped in this field. Both of her children were covered in blood. Ricky took this, the key out of the ignition and was comforting his brother. He took Mike's hand and they ran to the nearest house for help. And Oh my gosh, guys, get ready for this. so hard. He went to that neighbor or the neighbor's house and he asked to call his grandpa because he knew his grandpa was a doctor and he thought that his grandpa might be able to fix his mom. That's just so heartbreaking. So the police were able to contact Sarah's family by midnight and unfortunately their worst suspicions were true that something had happened to Sarah. They also called Fred, the husband of course, and he was said to have like just completely broken down after he got the news. Police arrested Lawrence that night and he denied any involvement in it whatsoever. But a prison informant said that Lawrence was asking around for a hitman. At that same time, Fred had lent him $70,000 for being in financial trouble and writing bad checks. Because Fred, he's just such a good friend, guys. Wouldn't you guys do that for someone who is writing bad checks that you were friends with? Yeah, so it's not weird at all. No, wait, sorry, I had that backwards. No, it's incredibly suspicious that that happened. A man came forward two weeks later, giving the police a name, Curtis Rower, and the police arrested him two days before Christmas. The man who gave the name was Curtis's sister's boyfriend. He had said that 
Lawrence was asking around, like I said, for a hitman. And he originally asked the boyfriend, um, the guy, the informant that gave the name, if he would do the hit. And he said, no, go ask the crack, my, my girlfriend's crackhead brother or something along those lines. That's not the exact quote. So he did. And Curtis said that he would do it. He said, or he offered him $5,000 for the hit, and Curtis said, yes, that's what I will do. Curtis told the police that Lawrence told him when to be at the home, how to get into it, and, like, the layout, essentially. So, when Sarah got home, he realized that he never got paid. And other sources say that he was supposed to meet up with Curtis, and he never did. So, that's kind of where it gets sketchy. He was supposed to do the hit in Sarah's home. But obviously, either he wasn't there, Lawrence wasn't there, Lawrence, excuse me, Eddie Lawrence wasn't there, or Curtis wanted his money first. So they got in the car, which was completely um, not a part of the plan, essentially. So that's kind of where it got messy, obviously. So when Sarah got home, he told her to get in the car, and he took her to where Lawrence was working. Those abandoned houses were uh, where he was working to fix up because um, Eddie Lawrence was a handyman. And when Sarah hit the gas to, I guess, kind of try and escape, he accidentally hit the trigger and he said that he was never going to go through with it. And that's why he panicked and jumped out of the car. Police also had another man come forward who said that he was asked to do the same thing a couple of days before Thanksgiving. But, and he was also told that Sarah would be in the room with his bo- her boys and that the sliding door would be unlocked. So that's what makes me so mad. I'm assuming Fred allegedly was the one that said this is where she sleeps at night with my two young sons shoot her there. Like it's despicable, honestly. It's just revolting. So the man walked into the home and the dog barked and that's what scared him off. So then another plan was set. Two days after Curtis's arrest, Fred left his kids with Sarah's family. He went to a hotel, put up a do not disturb disturb sign, took some pain pills and alcohol and tried to end his life. He was fortunately found unconscious in the room and he was brought to the hospital and saved. He said that he did this because he lost his wife and the media was attacking him. And he said that Curtis was lying and was pulling everything off of the news. All the information he got was just from the news. All of this media was really starting to get to Fred. So he made a public announcement saying that, or I guess technically asking, that the media should leave him alone, please leave him alone, that his normal way of life has been completely altered and that he just wants to get back to where it was. That's a rough quote. So after that, he basically packed all of his things up, every single one of his things, liquidated every single one of the businesses that he was a part of or the shares that he was a part of, and he moved in with his mom. He didn't, or excuse me, he packed everything up and anything that he didn't want or didn't pack up, he threw in a dumpster that he rented and basically took his kids again left him again with his uh sarah's family and like i said lived with his mom she would see him only twice a week twice a month excuse me so yeah father of the year gosh fred only said that eddie didn't do it eddie was not a part of it and neither did fred 
So sorry, that sounded weird. Fred said that he had no part of it and that Eddie didn't either. And that's it. And he would only say that to Sarah's family because he was just smart. He was an attorney. He knew what to say and what not to say. And half the time he spoke through his lawyer. But police knew that it was fishy. So they started to move in on Fred for two different investigations. The first one was his connection to Eddie Lawrence. And the second one was for those two men. I think their names were like James and Billy. Either they were drug dealers or they were the front men for drug dealers. So they were trying to figure out what was going on with that and what Fred had to do with all of it. Amidst all of this too, word started to get out that Fred was having an affair. So he made a public announcement saying that he knew that the private detective, Perdomo, was following him and that he had talked to Sarah about the affair and that they were working through it. They resolved their marriage problems. He and Sarah had seen a counselor and they just worked everything out. But unfortunately, that was not enough for the people and it never got any better. So Fred got really, really, really nervous, as he should, and he took his two boys and fled to Canada. But almost immediately, he was extradited to America because, duh, what did you expect? And in 1994, he was convicted on federal charges of racketeering and sentenced to life in prison. But that's not all, folks. In 1995, he went to court for the murder of Sarah, his wife, luckily. Curtis had um, spoken and he said that Lawrence had offered him $5,000 to kill her. And he said that they kind of said she was standing in the way of a lot of money and that she was the lawyer of Fred's wife and they needed her dead. She was standing in the way of, like I said, a lot of money and that's why they had to kill her. Obviously, that was not true. Another heartbreaking testimony was from Ricky, the oldest son, who gave his testimony on that night. And he was asked why he could remember so many details of such a terrible night. And he said, or I should say, he compared it to your first home run. How could you forget that is basically what he said, which is such a horrible thing to think about. But in 1997, he was convicted of his wife's murder and given another life sentence. So, fast Fred, guys. Can you guess what he did next? That's right. He became a prison informant. He had no chance of getting parole. Or I shouldn't say that. He had no chance. That's actually correct. Sorry. (laughs) He had no chance of getting parole with his two life sentences. And he was trying to come up with a way to reduce his sentence. So, he became an informant. And he... His attorney, I should say, pointed to the fact that he supposedly like helped a lot of cases get pushed through because of his informing, but who knows if he's being honest. Look at him, guys, come on. Like I feel like he would lie about that stuff. In May of 2020, Fred passed away from a neurological disease and his sentence was never reduced. Seems a little karmic, but whatever. In Fred's will, he named his brother as the guardian to his sons, which I feel like is just another jab against Sarah. So thanks for that, Fred. Luckily, this didn't happen. Sarah's sisters got custody. Thank the Lord. And Ricky is an EMT and he's doing a great job. Mikey was a journalist, but unfortunately he had passed away due to heart heart problems. Eddie Lawrence and Curtis Rower went to jail for life, but 
Eddie found love in prison, guys. And ironically, it's just really weird. After they got married, the lady he married published a story on Eddie's life. So, a little sketchy, but love is love, I guess. I don't know. So, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around. I appreciate you. If you want to follow and like on Instagram, you can do so, YDWK Podcast, if you want, or Facebook, uh, you don't want to know. If you want to send an email with case suggestions, or if you want to tell me you liked the something different, let me know, YDWKpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and happy almost turkey day. Bye-bye. friends. Hi, I'm Amber. And I'm Lauren. And we're Two Two Drunk Drunk Moms. Moms. Check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform as we sip our favorite wines and find comedy in the chaos. Because it's not drinking alone. If you're drinking with us. Cheers. Cheers.